0: Jesus is real. There's power in Your name. We find hope in trusting Your ways. We believe that Jesus is
1: real. So just as you have three my gods, now you have three expressions of trust. They trusted. They trusted. They trusted. And I'm here today to tell you that my God, if God is your God, if it's personal for you, that God can be trusted. That God is trustworthy. He doesn't always act on our timetable, but God has it under control and is available to be trusted right
0: away. Each of us has been through very hard times. You might be living through tremendous suffering right now. Well, today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that you can count on God even when everything in your life seems out of control. As you'll learn from Psalm 22, David was convinced that God is real, trustworthy, even when his circumstances seemed hopeless. You'll be encouraged to hear that God will show up for you just like he did for David. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Psalms, chapter 22, as he begins his message with arms wide open.
1: 2000 and Creed's song with arms wide open shot up the charts it was written when lead singer scott staff found out that he was going to be having a child and using unmistakable imagery speaking about the love of a parent for a child he penned those words with arms wide open i'll show you love i'll show you everything That's our next song for our top 10 series. And I know what you're all thinking. Where is Pastor Daniel right now? I figure if there's a tomb, you got to come out of it, right? I mean, it's like a kid in a candy store. I mean, there's there's like a tomb right there. It's like, if it's there, you got to walk out of it. It's either that or sitting in the Parthenon, so I don't know. (laughs) You know, we're doing this series called The Top Ten. We're linking psalms with songs. And you think about that song, With Arms Wide Open, the song of a father to a a child. And you think about a child is is in his mother's womb. The way God intended children to be the love expression of a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage. Do you think about Jesus in the tomb coming rising from the dead? Jesus went to that tomb for one reason and one reason alone and that's because of the covenant love of God. A love that God has for you and for me and for all who would believe. A love so great that his own son would have arms spread wide open on a cross to receive our punishment, and then us to himself. This psalm is really a a pivot because it's the last one we're doing in the top 10 series, but it's meant to point us to the Easter season. So for our last psalm, I want you to open up in your Bibles to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. If you're brand new to your Bible, it's about, I don't know, about a third or a quarter of the way in the Old Testament there. Psalm number 22, it's 150 chapters or 150 songs. So we like to say it's the greatest hits of the children of Israel. So we'll take the 22nd Psalm. Now this Psalm is a Psalm of David, but it's, it's also called a Messianic Psalm, which means that David, according to Peter in Acts chapter 2, David was a prophet. And David is talking about his own circumstances, but he's also looking ahead to a, another set of circumstances. And as we read this, you'll see why. So this psalm, it points us to Jesus. It points us undeniably, without much stretching at all, points us right to the person and work of Jesus. Now, what's interesting is this psalm divides very neatly into two pieces, verses 1 to 21, which is called a lament. And as we're going through it, you'll see why there's a lament based on circumstances. And then from verse 22 to the end of the chapter, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. So the first almost three quarters of the song or the psalm is a lament and then it moves to thanksgiving. You might say, well, you know, that sounds weird, lament and then thanksgiving, but I want to hang scripture over top of this study. I'll read it to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. The writer of the Hebrews says this, therefore we also, at the right hand of the throne of God. Now you notice that in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, or the originator and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. So that lament portion, the first 21 verses, it's speaking of Jesus who is enduring the cross, who is despising His open shame. That's the first 21 verses. That part of the ministry of Jesus, where he had to endure hardship and suffering as he was shamed by the people watching him. But then, of course, that end, verses 22 and following, who for the joy that was set before him. See, Jesus submitted himself to an open shame Open suffering, a lamentable existence for the greatest joy in the world that promotes thanksgiving in each one of our hearts. So as we're going through the psalm, I want you to be thinking about that. Jesus' shame for the joy that was set before him. That's why he died. And we're going to go through that verse by verse. So in Psalm 22, let's go... Section by section, picking up in verse one, says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent, but you are holy Enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. In these five verses, we learned a very simple thing, but an important thing. That my God can be trusted My God, with quotations on my, my God can be trusted. Now, I want to explain to you where I got that from. If you notice in the first two verses, that phrase, my God, shows up three times. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In verse one. And then, of course, in verse two, oh, my God, I cry to you in the daytime. So at the very outset, it's not oh God, or my father's God, or the God of my teacher or neighbor, but it's personal. David the psalmist, as Jesus does as well, says, is my God. And so it needs to be personal. God is not contented with us keeping him at an arm's length, but it needs to be deeply personal. So my God can be trusted. I get that verses 4 and 5. Just as there was three my gods, now there's three expressions of trust. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, delivered them. They cried out to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. So just as you have three my gods, now you have three expressions of trust. They trusted, they trusted, they trusted. And I'm here today to tell you that my God, if God is your God, if it's personal for you, that God can be trusted. That God is trustworthy. He doesn't always act on our timetable, but God has it under control and is available to be trusted right away. But do we believe that? Do we believe that God is trustworthy? It's interesting that As we see the psalm, we're going to find that David, as the psalmist, as well as Jesus himself, saw the trustworthiness of God in the midst of seemingly horrific circumstances. See, this is where the trustworthiness of God proves itself out. Not when things are going well, but when things are hard when things don't make any sense, that is when God shows himself to be the most trustworthy. I mean, look at how the psalm opens up. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've read the New Testament, these words mean something to you, right? We see it two different places. Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. And Mark chapter 15, verse 34, when Jesus was hanging there on the cross... He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting this psalm word by word. It was said that Martin Luther, the great reformer. Now, I don't believe everything Martin Luther ever said, but this story is fascinating. That he was reading his Bible and he ended up sitting in his study all day, kind of staring at his Bible and staring at the wall all day. And his wife and visitors came by and he was just kind of in his study, and then finally he got up and said, God forsaking God. Who can understand this? And it's a deep thought, isn't it? The Bible portrays Jesus as God in the flesh, but yet he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus feeling the effects of the cross. People always say, well, then what does it mean then? I mean... How can God be forsaken by God? It makes you think of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. The apostle Paul says, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In kind of common, cheeky language, we can call this the great switcheroo. Because on the cross, as Jesus hung there, God made Jesus to be sin. Jesus who knew no sin. He had never did anything wrong. He always did everything right by God and by humanity in action, And in motivation, at that cross, God made him sin. Now, sin means missing the mark. That's all it means. It means you're trying to do it right, and you get it slightly off, famously off. You're not even trying to get it right. Every derivation off of exactly right, that's what the Bible calls sin. Every either slight or exaggerated act of imperfection. That's the biblical word for sin. So when Jesus was on that cross, God's design was that Jesus became all of our imperfections and received the righteous punishment for it, even though he never sinned. So on that cross, the perfect son of God became our sin. So he got our garbage. And then that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became our garbage And we became God's chosen. We got God's grace, God's righteousness. And that is why Jesus on the cross could say, God, why have you forsaken me? Always being God, now he's experiencing the punishment that we deserve. That's why God could forsake God. God knew it was a weight we could never handle. We weren't designed to handle it. like, I'm going to do it for you. And it's interesting, there's hope in this because he's saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why are you so far from helping me and hearing the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry to you in the daytime, but you don't hear. And in the night season, I'm not silent. Many of you in here today feel this way. Things are hard, things don't make any sense. Things are just flat out going wrong. You're saying, God, where are you? But notice the hope, because God can be trusted in verses 3, 4, and 5. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. He's saying, but God, you're the holy one. You're right. You're good. Our fathers trusted in you, and they were delivered. They cried out to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. See, if you're here today and you're struggling, you don't know what's going on, you need to look back at your history. Look at the history that you find in the Bible. A, a great cloud of witnesses who have experienced God's deliverance. Because your God can be trusted. Now, as we move into verse 6 through verse 21, we're going to see what is maybe the most descriptive example of what crucifixion looks like. The Psalm of David was written about a thousand years before Christ and long before the Roman capital punishment of crucifixion was even being practiced. Now, if you're in here today and you are skeptical, you're like, you know, I don't really know about this whole Christianity thing. I get where you're coming from because I I wasn't raised with this stuff. It wasn't part of um, my upbringing. And I remember just being like, oh, you know, that whole Christianity thing, I mean, what's the big deal? You know, like, come on, like, are we really going to take this 2,000-year-old mythical figure real seriously? You know, and it's really easy because you get educated that way, whether it's in school, if you go to college, you even get that furthered along, where it's kind of like, this is just a bunch of, you know, it's just it's just stories. It's for an uneducated people who don't really understand the way the world works. You know, and it's really easy just to dismiss it. But there's nothing worse than when you dismiss things based on bad information. It's like saying you don't like a band and you've actually never heard them. I've shared this story before. I remember growing up, you know, my my friends got into a band called Fish with a PH. They were like the the better than the Grateful Dead from the East Coast. Right? And I remember my friends were all going to these Fish concerts and I thought to myself, I mean, what a corny name, Fish with a PH. I mean, seriously? This is what we've come to. And, and all my friends were going, and I just wanted to be contrary. So I'm like, oh, man, I don't like fish. But I never actually heard him before. I remember one day I'm at my friend's house, and I'm, and you know, as a musician, there's this music on, and I'm just like, just kind of bobbing my head to I'm like, man, this is really good. And then they, they, the, the whole section of the music changed, and these guys were just, you know, they were jamming, they were just wailing, they were in it, and I'm just like, wow, this is really awesome. What is this? And they were like, oh, man, it's fish. I thought you don't like them. I'm like, yeah, I don't. There's nothing worse than making a decision about something when you've never actually experienced it or tried it. It doesn't make much sense. So I remember thinking, oh yeah, this whole Jesus dying on a cross thing. I mean, how, I mean, can it get any weirder than that? And when you you think about someone wearing a cross, I'm not against it, but could, you know, you wearing a cross, it'd be like walking around if you're wearing like an electric chair necklace. Can you imagine if you went home to to meet your spouse's parents? You got an electric chair, big old honking thing. They'd be like, uh Wishing they had security in house. Security! Get this guy out of here. But I mean, across, it was a capital punishment in the Roman Empire. It'd be like having a, a big lethal injection necklace. It was an instrument of death. Now, what we're going to read, this was written a thousand years before Jesus was even born. The Roman Empire did not become a major world empire until about 300 years before Christ. And if you're here today and you're skeptical about this stuff, you're going to have to think seriously about this. Because no event in the life of David is actually this. David is speaking about his own circumstances but he's looking to something greater. So I'm going to read you verses 6 to 21, and then I'll explain it to you. Look at what it says. Psalm 22, verse 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This teaches us, quite simply, that Jesus suffered to save us. Jesus suffered to save us. He suffered for you and for me. Because God loves us enough to give us what we need. Irrespective of if we want it or not. Jesus suffered to save us. Now, this description here, I want to give you some homework. Actually, don't really, it's not really homework. It's good work. It's like a teacher, right? It's not really homework. It's good work. But for reference, I want you to look at the four passion accounts of your Bible. Each gospel has one. So, Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. What is interesting is that in each one of the Gospels, each of the four Gospels, there is an account of Jesus on the cross. And it's amazing how powerfully they read parallel to this psalm that was written a thousand years before. How many things line up with the reality of what Jesus experienced. Look at what he says. He begins, he says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me and they shoot out the lip. They shake their head saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Jesus was mocked. You can read it in Matthew 27, 39 to 44. Jesus is here being mocked by the people around him. He's saying, I'm a worm. He's saying, I'm helpless. I'm frail. I'm unwanted. He's being ridiculed by the people around him.
0: Jesus is... Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Daniel began this study in Psalm 22. You were reminded that God is both personal and trustworthy. Pastor Daniel taught that this psalm is distinctive because it gives a very specific description of crucifixion nearly a thousand years before its invention. You learned that God's design was for Jesus to take on all of our imperfections so that we could be made clean.
1: or email me at real at danielfusco.com.
0: Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue to explore Psalm 22 and its applications for your life. As you learn more about what happens to someone's body during crucifixion, you'll be reminded of how much Jesus suffered for your sake. God has gone to great lengths to make a way for you to be able to have a personal relationship with Him because He loves you more than you can even imagine. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called The Top Ten. Until then, may God bless.